While the holidays is not technically a scent, we all know exactly what the phrase smells like the holidays means. Catching a whiff of those key spices evokes a warming feeling of comfort during the coldest months in the Northern Hemisphere. It's a smell of mulled wine or the sweet citrus combination with orange. This spice's strong smell may have warded off evil. We're exploring the history and origin of cloves. I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. Seasons Eatings can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts. If you haven't already, I would ask you to subscribe. That way you won't miss an episode when it's released, and all future episodes will be available without you having to search for them. If you can please take a minute and leave me a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. Reviews help others find the podcast and help me know that you're enjoying what I'm doing. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker as a personal thank you. Seasons Eatings is also found on most socials. All the links can be found in the show notes, which can be found at seasonseatingspodcast.com. And while you're there, you can buy me an eggnog. Just click on the little cup at the top of the page and leave a donation for as little as $3. Each donation is used for the running of the podcast and its general upkeep, so any help would be greatly appreciated. Finally, you can let me know how I'm doing, leave a suggestion for a future episode, or just say hello at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. Cloves are the aromatic flower buds of a tree in the family Myrtaceae. They are native to the Maluku Islands or Malukas in Indonesia and are commonly used as a spice, flavoring, or fragrance in consumer products. The word clove, first used in English in the 15th century, derives from Middle English, clau of guilfer, Anglo-French, clauus de guilfois, and an old French, Clau de Gilwolf. From the Latin word clavus, meaning nail. They kind of do look like a little nail with the seed as the head. Until the colonial era, cloves only grew on a few islands in the Moluccas, historically called the Spice Islands, including Bacan, Macian, Moti, Ternate, and Tidore. One clove tree named Afo that experts believe is the oldest in the world may be 300 to 400 years old. Cloves were first traded by the Austronesian peoples in the Austronesian Maritime Trade Network, which began around 1500 BC, later becoming the Maritime Silk Road and part of the spice trade. The first notable example of modern clove farming developed on the east coast of Madagascar and is cultivated there in three separate ways, a monoculture, agricultural parklands, and agroforestry systems. 
Archaeologist Giorgio Busalati found clothes in Turka, Syria in a burned-down house, which was dated to 1720 BC. This was the first evidence of cloves being used in the West before Roman times. They reached Rome by the first century AD. Another archaeological find of a clove is represented by two examples found at a trading port in Sri Lanka, dated around 900 to 1100 AD. From Chinese records during the Song Dynasty, cloves were primarily exported from the Malaccas by ships originated from the Austronesian polities of Java, Srivijava, Champa, and Bhutan. Cloves were also present in records in China, Sri Lanka, southern India, Persia, and Oman by around the 3rd century to 2nd century BC. These mentions of cloves reported in China, South Asia, and the Middle East come from before the establishment of Southeast Asian maritime trade. But all of these are misidentifications that refer to other plants, like cassia buds, cinnamon, or nutmeg, or are imports from the maritime Southeast Asia mistakenly identified as being natively produced in these regions. By the 15th century, spices were at the center of the world's trading economy, much like oil is today. Highly valued for flavoring and preserving food as well as masking the taste of rotten or tainted meat, spices like cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove were extremely valuable, worth more than their weight in gold. Since spices could not be cultivated in the cold European climate, no effort was spared to discover the quickest sea route to the Spice Islands. Portugal and Spain led the competition for early control over this critical commodity. By the start of the 16th century, Europeans had reached the Spice Islands by sailing east, but none had yet to sail west from Europe to reach the other side of the globe. Ferdinand Magellan, a Portuguese sailor and explorer, was determined to be the first to do so, and set off on his global voyage in 1519, funded by King Charles I of Spain. Magellan commanded an expedition of five ships and 250 men, which finally passed through what is now known as the Straits of Magellan between the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean in October 1520. He was the first man to make the journey westward to the Pacific. Magellan never actually made it to the Spice Islands. He was killed by a poison arrow during a battle in the Philippines in 1521. Two of his ships, however, managed to finally reach the Moluccas on November 5th in 1521. When only one ship, the Victoria, and 18 men returned to Spain in 1522, its cargo of about 50 tons of cloves and nutmeg was still considered to have made the expedition a great financial success, despite the loss of so many ships and men. The Portuguese were followed by the Dutch in 1605, and they retained control over the trade for almost 200 years. The Dutch eradicated cloves on all spice islands except Ambona and Ternate in order to create scarcity and sustain high prices. In the latter half of the 18th century, the French smuggled cloves from the East Indies to French-controlled islands in the Indian Ocean and the New World, 
breaking the Dutch monopoly. During the colonial era, cloves were traded like oil, with an enforced limit on exportation. As the Dutch East India Company consolidated its control of the spice trade in the 17th century, they sought to gain a monopoly in cloves as they had in nutmeg. However, unlike nutmeg and mace, which were limited to the minute bandas, clove trees grew all over the Moluccas, and the trade in cloves was beyond the limiting producing powers of the corporation. Tourists are told that seedlings from this very tree were stolen by a Frenchman named Pierre Poivre in 1770. Yes, this is the same person that smuggled nutmeg in my previous episode. With varying degrees of success, clove plantations were established in Réunion, Martinique, Haiti, and in the Seychelles. With the abolition of slavery gaining momentum, Zanzibar had a surplus of slaves until the, an Arab by the name of Salah bin Haramil al-Albray established clove plantations for the slaves to be put to work on. What was not lost on Salah bin Haramil al-Albray was the successful breaking of the Dutch monopoly on the clove trade by Pierre Poivre. Sultan Said of Oman ruled his kingdom from Muscat, However, in 1827, he sailed to Zanzibar and made a commercial treaty with America, mostly involving the trade in ivory. He soon realized, though, that to grow Zanzibar's wealth, he would have to increase trade with America and Europe, and identified the clove trade as a means to achieve his objectives. The ill-fated Salah bin Haramil al-Abre had all his plantations confiscated because Sultan Said saw him as a political threat. Sultan Said then decreed that three clove trees would have to be planted for every coconut palm on Zanzibar and Pemba, making Zanzibar one of the world's largest producers by the time he died in 1856. Despite a major setback with sudden death disease, which attacked mature trees, Zanzibar became, along with Madagascar, one of the world's major clove producers. Current leaders in clove production are Indonesia, Madagascar, Tanzania, Sri Lanka, and Comoros. Indonesia is the largest clove producer, but only export a small portion of the cloves they produce, which amounts to about 10 to 15% of the country's production. They oftentimes have to import cloves from Madagascar to meet their needs. We'll find out how cloves are harvested and how they are related to Christmas after the break. The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. 
If you've ever wondered about the history of Santa Claus, the traditions behind a Christmas tree, or what people leave out for Santa in Eastern Europe, then you're probably a lot like me. My name's Jeff, and I absolutely love Christmas. Join me on the Lost Christmas Podcast and learn about the people, traditions, mysteries, food, celebrations, and all manner of history around the holiday season we all love. At the end of each episode, I also read a little bit from The Lost Years of Santa Claus, a book which fills in the gaps that we have in the story of our beloved gift giver. It's Christmas! Hello, this is Adam from Merry Britsmas. I am a Christmas fanatic from the UK who thinks that the world needs to know more about the traditions, telly and music that helps make a British Christmas really festive. I look at everything from mince pies to Boxing Day to Wham to Slade to the Royal Family to Doctor Who. If you want to find out more about a British Christmas or you are British and want a hit of nostalgia, Check me out at Merry Britsmas. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all. Clove trees thrive in thick, loamy soil in a humid tropical climate with the annual rainfall between 150 and 250 centimeters. The trees grow well at any height from sea level up to an altitude of 900 meters. Clove trees are evergreen and can grow as high as 40 feet tall and are easily to distinguish due to their uniquely bluish-gray bark. The clove tree's large, shiny, aromatic dark green leaves grow up to 5 inches long. They kind of resemble bay leaves and grow in pairs. From July to October and again from November to January, the boughs bear tiny inch-long red blossoms that gather in clusters near the branch tips. The first harvesting of cloves takes place when the trees are six to eight years of age and continues then for up to 50 years. Some trees reportedly live for up to 150 years. The trees are surprisingly sensitive and will usually only deliver one bumper crop in four years. The success of following crops being largely dependent on the degree of sympathy employed in the previous harvest. Rough handling and breaking of branches will generate debilitating shock in clove trees, diminishing subsequent yields. In Sir James Fraser's famous work, The Golden Bough, he described the attitude of the native people to their crops. When the clove trees are in blossom, they are treated like pregnant women. No noise may be made near them. No light or fire may be carried past them at night. No one may approach them with his hat on. All must uncover in their presence. These precautions are observed lest the tree should be alarmed and bear no fruit, or should drop its fruit too soon, like the untimely delivery of a woman who has been frightened in her pregnancy. Although modern attitudes have slightly changed, the planting and harvesting of cloves still has a religious significance in some villages. Clove clusters are picked by hand when the buds are full size. But before any petals have fallen to expose the stamens. As they do not all reach harvesting stage at the same time, A picker must be skilled enough to know the best clusters to pick up and put in baskets. 
the filled baskets are returned to a central area where the flower buds are removed from the flower stems by twisting the cluster against the palm of the hand. The snapped off buds are spread out to dry on woven mats where the tropical sun dries them in a few days to their characteristic reddish-brown color. During drying, enzymes create the volatile oil eugenol, which is also present in lesser concentration in dried clove stems. A traditional way to gauge correct dryness level of cloves is to hold them tightly in one's hand, and if they hurt, the spiky sections are hard, an indication of being properly dried. Having lost about two-thirds of their weight, one kilogram of cloves may consist of up to 15,000 buds. Unlike most spices, cloves have a recognized medical value. Cloves contain eugenol, which is an effective local anesthetic, and this has long been used in dentistry. Since the 19th century, Eugenol has been one of the many essential oil components to be used to relieve toothaches. And dentists use clove oil in their fillings, anesthetics, and mouthwashes. Both cloves and the oil are stimulant, aromatic, and carminative. Cloves in substance or infusion are sometimes given to relieve nausea or vomiting. More especially the vomiting of pregnancy, to relieve flatulence and to accept weak digestion. The oil of cloves sometimes afford relief when introduced into the cavity of a carious tooth. As for their connection to Christmas, cloves are one of the main ingredients when roasting a ham or making mulled wine. Cloves are also used in making pomanders. If you're a certain age, then you may remember making them for the holidays. You take a small navel orange or a clementine and stud the citrus with whole cloves in a pretty pattern. This then can be used as a decoration on the Christmas tree or on the fireplace mantle. You often see pomanders being used in Christmas reproductions of colonial times, but they go back further than that. I talked about pomanders in my episode about the Christmas orange. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. The name pomander comes from the French term palm d'ambre, which roughly translates to apple of perfume, or as most people call it, a perfume ball. Pomanders originally took many forms, not just the clove and orange variety, which is the most common today. Pomanders, or the practice of carrying or wearing a ball of perfume, were popularized in Europe around the late Middle Ages. At this time, pomanders were used for protection against infection, pestilence, and disease, or simply the smell of sickness. All of these were far too common at the time due to poverty and lack of advanced medical knowledge. Although pomanders have been used for ages in religious practices and were sometimes made as religious keepsakes, the form we are most familiar with today, specifically, has its roots in witchcraft. A clove-colored orange tied with a gold or red ribbon and sometimes anointed with oils was originally a charm used by witches for recovery, protection, and good luck spells. Today, pomanders make great yuletide gifts. Wonderfully fragrant luck charms for the new year 
or a gift for someone who is sick and in need of a soothing fragrance. And that's not the only good reason to make a pomander. Once dry, a pomander can last for months and can be used as an air freshener or to keep bugs away. That it's mainly used to protect against disease in the 17th century, says Dr. William Tollett of Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge, the author of Smell in 18th Century England. None other than Henry VIII's Cardinal Wolseley was said to have carried an orange stuffed with spices to cover up the smells of the lawyers and plaintiffs that crowded Westminster Hall, he added. Over time, the combination of oranges and cloves faded from written sources, only to re-emerge in the 20th century when dried clove-stuffed oranges, often covered with cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove oil, came back into fashion. That seems to have become a Christmas thing, said Tullet. The shift in the association of oranges and cloves away from disease was key, meaning the scents became firmly linked to settings such as the kitchen. The spices are being used in food in the 17th century, but what changes is that once we get to the end of the 18th century, people no longer believe that the smells of spices and herbs could do anything for you medically. So all that's left for this stuff is for it to be used for food and making your home smell nice. The sense of smell is linked to your earliest memories. This Christmas, bring back some of those memories and use cloves in your baking, studying a holiday ham, or creating pomanders to decorate your home. Cloves will always be one of the spices of the season. I'm Glenn Warren, and thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available on all your major podcast players. Please, if you can leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. And I know we all get busy, especially during the holidays. So just sharing the podcast with someone you know who loves Christmas would mean so much. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com and let me know how you like the show, suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker for your trouble, as well as my unwavering gratitude. And if you're feeling extra generous this season, you can buy me an eggnog. Head on over to seasonseatingspodcast.com and click on the little cup in the corner. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. Seasons Eatings is also part of the Christmas Podcast Network. So head on over to christmaspodcast.com and find your next podcast addiction. All music for Seasons Eatings is used under the Creative Commons license.